So this morning, we are going to continue our series in the book of John, covering the first four chapters, which really focuses on Jesus's impact on the world. And we're going to see today the very first time that Jesus called his disciples. And this is a really important topic for us to look at because in Jesus' last speech, before he went away, this is what he said to his people, to his followers. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the what church? The Holy Spirit. So the whole goal of Jesus was to make disciples. The goal of the early church was to make disciples. The scriptures and the letters that we read tell us to make disciples. The goal of our church is to make disciples. Now, most of us here, if we've been in church a long time and somebody were to ask us if we were a Christian, we would say, yes, I am a Christian. But how many of us would be able to say that we are a disciple of Christ? Because Christians, that wasn't a term ever used by Jesus. That came later. and doesn't mean it's a bad term. But sometimes our understanding of Christian falls short of what Christ was calling us to do. And so it's important to understand what a disciple is. And for those of you visiting here today who are like maybe exploring still Christianity and trying to figure out God and why <laughs> some Christians act the way that they do, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a disciple of Christ. I can call myself a doctor all day long, but you're going to be in a world of hurt if you come to me for medical advice. A disciple of Christ is what God called us to do. And so what I'm hoping to do is for those of you trying to understand what it means to follow Christ, is you get a glimpse of what that is today. And that we'll also be challenged in our lives of whether we really are a disciple of the Lord. Do we really follow him? Or are we just part of the crowd that comes and goes as we please? Get excited about Jesus when he's doing something, when we feel like coming to watch him, and then we go about our business. May the Lord reveal to all of us where we are in our walk with him. Amen, church? I'm going to try that again. Amen, church? Amen. All right, there we are. There we are. We're, we're here. All right, I'm going to read through the passage for you this morning. The verses are up here on the screen for you. The next day again, John, referring to John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. They came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour, which is most likely 4 p.m. for us. And one of the two who heard him speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, not John the Baptist, a lot of Johns back then. He said, you shall now be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. 
Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Peter found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and instead of him, he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in him who there is no deceit. Here's a man who tells it like it is. And Nathanael said to him, how do, you, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you that I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? Oh, you will see greater things than this. Oh, back to the wrong one. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. So like I said before, I read this passage the reason this text is so important is that we're all called to become disciples of Christ. Today, the Holy Spirit calls you just the same way Jesus called the disciples in this passage. Now, in our culture, disciple is not used very much. The best comparison we have to this word is student. Disciple is a student, and that's not even a great comparison because when we think of student, we look at someone who goes to a class some school or university, but the commitment of a New Testament disciple was way different. They did not just learn from their teacher in the classroom, they would follow their teacher around. They would travel with them. They would eat meals with them. They would even live with their teachers. I mean, if you're a teacher, imagine your students coming home and living with you. If you're students, imagine your favorite teacher or it might be funny if you imagine your least favorite teacher, imagine going home with them and you living with them. That is part of your process as a disciple. Yeah, I guess if you're a homeschooler, that kind of already works out that way, doesn't it? Yeah, see, Claire, yeah, you know, you're like a disciple of Christ, right? You live with your teacher, you follow him. Yeah. She's like, you just called me out in front of people. What are you doing? Sorry, honey, can't help myself. Now, and unlike today, where the goal of the student is to get good grades, or just to get credit, to fulfill a requirement, the goal of a disciple was to become like their teacher. That was the object of discipleship, to follow, to emulate, to copy, to, to duplicate, to, uh, to replicate their rabbi, their master, their teacher. So when Jesus invites Andrew to come and see, he said, listen, don't come to a class, come and have your life changed. Come have your completely everything that you see and understand be changed. Come be a different person. Give up everything else that you thought was priority and come and see. And when they did come and see for the men that followed him, they did, and the women who followed him, they did have their lives changed. And you kind of get a glimpse of this when we look at Peter. Let's go back to verse 41 and see what Jesus says the very first time he meets Peter. 
He, speaking of Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So apparently the first words that Jesus ever spoke to Peter, he said, look, I'm changing your name. You're going to be called Peter, which means rock, which is kind of a cool nickname to get, like, right? What's up, rock? You know, we all, you know, you think of Rocky and stuff, like, that sounds cool. It's like better than some of the nicknames I've had in my life, but that's, that's another sermon. Now, in, and we don't understand this today because it's different in our culture, but in Jewish culture, changing someone's name was hugely significant. Your name was attached to your character. Like my name, Jeff, it means peaceful. And if you know me, it has nothing to do with my character, right? But back then, they were tied together. And when you change somebody's name, you are executing authority over them. So I have the power to change who you are. And this is kind of striking that Jesus changes Peter's name to rock, because if you've ever read anything about Peter, that's not the portrait of Peter you get. It's like foot in mouth would be a more appropriate nickname for Peter, if you know what I mean. Much more applicable to the way that he lived. Made lots of mistakes. He was impulsive. In the end, he even denied Jesus. How many times? Three times. But despite his frailty, Jesus signals this vision of who Peter will become. And if you've ever been a teacher, you know what this is like. You know this duality that you see of the, of the students you have before you and then a picture of who they will become. Even if you're a not a teacher, but a parent, you can see this. Or you're a boss, you can see this. This person and, and who they are and their mistakes and their frailty. And they're like, man, but you see inside them, you see who they can become. Man, and, and this is a, as a pastor, this is one of my favorite experiences when you get someone to come into the church and they are so raw and they're hurting and you see their mistakes, but you see inside of them what God has placed there. This gem that he has inside of them, these gifts that he has given them, this personality that he's given them, and they can't see it, but you can. It's a very cool thing, and sometimes a very frustrating thing, but that also is another sermon. In the Gospels, you see this duality of Peter. It's like you almost, I'd like to down the road, do a whole series on Peter to show this more specifically. But you see this duality, because like even after like the Lord says, all right, I'm changing your name to Peter, the rock, he doesn't always call him Peter. There's certain times he gets called Peter, but there's also certain times he gets called Simon. And a lot of the times when he gets called Simon, it has to do with needing rebuke or correction. Like in Luke, when uh, Jesus is foretelling Peter's betrayal, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked that he may sift you like wheat. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Gethsemane the, the night that Jesus is betrayed, he said, all my disciples, I want you all to pray. Pray with me. Pray with me. This is incredibly hard. Just pray together. What does Peter do? He really prays. He goes to, you know, visits with Pastor Pillow, right? Just, he's snoring away. And, and so Jesus comes up to him and says, Simon, he doesn't say Peter. He says, Simon, why are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour lest you fall into temptation? Whenever Peter needed rebuke or admonishment, 
Jesus referred to him as Simon. It might like, it must have got to the point that like anytime Peter heard Jesus like say, Simon, he like cringed. You know, like when you were a kid and you heard your mom or your dad use all three names you had, right? The middle name got in there and you're like, oh, it was never good. It was never good. I remember my aunt, she learned that if I ever, when I was living with her, that if I ever heard all three of my names or if I just heard Jeffrey Allen, I would not come, I would hide. So she started calling me by all three names every once in a while when she wanted to do something nice for me, like give me ice cream or something like that. And then that way I would never know if when she used all three names it was bad or good, so I would always come. Very, I know, very manipulative, isn't it? It was also very effective. We should try that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we should try that. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack, back on track. But in spite of all of his failures, Jesus could see in the future what Peter would become. He said, look, this is who you are going to be. This is it. And we see this, the day of Pentecost. They're all the disciples. We talked about this a few months ago. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's the one. He goes out there, the rock, he preaches, and many come to Christ. I got to tell you, church, this gives me so much hope in my life. Because if I can watch the disciple Peter fail God that many times, and God still use him mightily, That gives me hope. Does that give you hope this morning, church? He denied Christ. He literally said, I don't know the dude. And God still used him to bring thousands to Christ. I mean, I've I've done a lot of messed up things, but I don't think I've ever denied Christ. And yet God said, no, that ain't gonna change it. This This is what I've called you to do. It should give us hope because we are all like Peter. We're both carnal and spiritual. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, he gave into the habits of the flesh sometimes. Then there's other times he was really functioning in the spirit. He was sinful times. And then other times he was a righteous man of God. But it didn't matter. None of it took away the name that Christ gave him. I mean, think about just the implicit authority of what Jesus says here. He says, you shall be called, period, Peter, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Not if you like it. Not if it works out. He said, this is what is going to happen. This is your name. This is your destiny, period. Like I said, even when Peter turned his back, I don't know, Jesus said, no. Jesus is like, nope. Uh-uh, you ain't getting out of it. You ain't that tough. You ain't that powerful that you can remove my call on your life. Christ saw past all of that. And there's the same tension in our lives all the time. Sometimes I'm Jeff the sinner. Sometimes I'm Jeff the saint. A lot more times I'm Jeff the sinner than I am the saint. We all know what this is like. And so a lot of us fall into the trap of thinking that God can't use us or that God is done with us or that we are not as called as other people. Like, yeah, sure, we can do something nice, but we're not on the same level. There is verse after verse after verse in the Bible that talks about Christians 
all Christians being called, just like Peter was, to have a call in their lives. They're given a new name when they put their faith and trust in Christ. They become a child of God and they have a call in their lives. And they've been given a different personality and different gifts to fulfill that specific call. Even though they don't know what it is, like Peter didn't know what it was gonna be, Christ does. You can't see your call? Christ can. But we get caught up because it's often a process. We are impatient in this country. We want everything now, 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 now. But discipleship doesn't work like that. I wish it did. Oh, I wish it did. But it doesn't. It's a process of where we fail and we succeed and we fail and we succeed and we fail and we succeed. And then eventually, as we fail and succeed long enough, we look back and we're like, man, look how far God brought me. Some of you are there. You know what it says. You look back and you're like, man, look how far God brought me. Some of you are still in the middle of failing and succeeding. Some of you are struggling to see this. But this isn't to say that Peter didn't play a role in this process because there was one thing that never changed in his successes and in his failures. Through all of these ups and downs, one thing remained consistent. Is he stayed a disciple of God. He continued to follow Jesus. He continued to follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, some of you, if you can't relate to this, if you don't find hope in this, I'm going to tell you probably the main reason is because you're not staying close to your teacher. You're not staying close to your rabbi. You're not staying close to your master. If you ever come across people who are Christians, but they don't, they're not showing any of these Christian uh, attitudes and words and actions that you see in scripture, it's because they are not staying close to their teacher. See, there's an effort that a disciple puts in. There's an effort. When Jesus said to Peter, follow me, it implied that Jesus had to actually follow him. And you remember this after they caught all the fish, I think in Luke 4 or something like that, and they had all this fish, which was a lot of money. Jesus said, drop it all, follow me. They dropped it all, and they started moving in a direction. They put in effort into it. You see, a Christian disciple is someone who has said that every other pursuit in my life is secondary. To serve and to learn and to know Jesus Christ is primary. Do you say that in your life? Do you believe that in your life? To serve and to know and to learn about Jesus Christ is primary. That's what it is to be a disciple. And it means to leave everything that was primary and follow him. And far too many people love to use the term Christian and they'll, they'll say a prayer, they'll come for some altar call, they'll get baptized, but then they won't leave everything. All of this will still be primary and Jesus will be secondary. 
But no, you have to leave everything. And you take some things with you, but you will change how you take things with you. You will take them in accordance to obedience to Christ. When I became a disciple of Christ, it doesn't mean I leave my family behind. They come with me. But how I bring them with me changes. My goal becomes to disciple them. Everything in your life changes if you're a disciple of Christ. The way you look at your money, the way you look at your time, the way you look at your talents, the way that you think about things, the way that you talk about things, the way that you do things, everything changes. Christianity, this is why Christianity is so hard because if you're really a disciple of Christ, it touches every area of your life. It doesn't just touch you Sunday morning at church or on holidays. That ain't being a Christian. It's just being part of the crowd. It's getting caught up in the moments. Is Jesus primary in your life? Is he primary in your life or, or not? Does he guide the way that you look and think about everything in your life? Or is he primary in some areas, but in others he's left behind? Listen to the words of Paul. He says, therefore, my beloved, speaking to the church, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out. It implies effort. You see, a, when I read scripture, I read this idea that a disciple of Christ is going to insist on certain things in their lives. The disciples, they insisted on following Christ, leaving everything and following him. Now, we don't have Christ in the physical form. He's not standing right here. We have him through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now a, a disciple insists on things in the same way, but they look on different and uh, look different. And it's, uh, uh, a disciple of Christ is going to insist on praying. He's going to say, I got to talk to my master. Every day, I need to talk to my teacher. They're going to sit down and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. As they walk into different avenues of life and they open up different doors to different places they're going, they're going to look, Lord, help me to follow you here. Help me to bring you glory here. A disciple is going to say, I, I have to study. I have to study my master's teachings. I have to open up the Bible Every day, I have to open up and see what he, he has to say to me about how I should live and about who he is. I have to do this. A disciple of Christ says, I, I gotta get to church. In the New Testament, the disciples were always the disciples. There was never the disciple. They were always in a group. Okay, the, the one thing that we get in this, and we use it with this phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which it's another sermon. We get this individual relationship with God. But all through the New Testament, a relationship with Christ being a disciple was a communal experience. That means you were a part of the church when you put your faith in Christ. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. So a disciple of Christ says, I am going to get to church. I'm going to serve in my church. I'm going to grow with other people. I'm going to be encouraged. They're going to be encouraged. We are going to grow together. I have to do this. 
A disciple of Christ tells people about their teacher. You know, like you look at Andrew, we see mentioned here. Every time you read about Andrew in the Bible, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Every time. Every time. A disciple of Christ will have this on their mind, like, man, who needs to get invited to church? Who needs to be prayed for? Who can I tell about Jesus? And notice when Andrew was doing this, he just met Jesus like five minutes ago. He could not explain Christology. He could not explain the end times, right? He could not explain the Romans road to salvation. He's just saying, look, I found him. And for you parents, a disciple of Christ says, I got to lead my kids to Jesus. I, I, I have to. I, I'm not just making them go to church so they'll be a good kid. I'm not going to take them just to church on holidays like I am. I'm going to live a life that shows them what it means to follow Christ. I often ask parents, I'm like, what kind of disciple are you making out of your kid? What kind of disciple are you making? These are the things that a disciple will insist on doing. And if, you, and if you don't do them, and you don't do them perfect, you always mess up. I miss days on things, but the heart and the intention is there. And behind the heart and the intention are the actions to make sure that you're always growing in them. And, and if you're not, you have to ask yourself, like, man, am I really a disciple of Christ? Or like, am I just part of the crowd? Is Jesus here? I leave, bring him in here and I leave him here? Or is he a part of my everyday life? Is he primary in everything? Is that where I want him to be? I constantly pastor people and they're like, man, I, I read about these great people who do things or I, I see these people who do great things and I, and I wish I had that power and I had that ability. And, you know, it it's always comes down to the same thing. It's because we haven't sought it. You, those great people that you read about, fantastic stories. They always insisted on the same things. Praying, reading their Bible daily, and leaving everything, sacrificing everything, even their lives for the sake of Christ. Those things that I read off to you just now, Bible praying, things we hear about in church all the time, does that excite you? Like the things, I mean, it's overwhelming, Sometimes it feels hard and impossible because it feels like everything pulls us away from doing those things. But does that sound exciting? The possibilities that, of what God wants to show you or is you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. Read my Bible, you know, go to church, yeah, I get it. Where's your heart in this? Because where your heart is in that and how you answer that question, it tells you the state of your soul. tells you if that God is just this religious figure you grew up with and you, you come to pay homage to once a week or if he is your disciple, your teacher, your Messiah. And then not to earn things like some of us taught growing up, but you, you want to follow him because of what he's done in your life. In fact, uh, Paul Washer, he gives us a great illustration for this the difference between a disciple of Christ and someone who's just religious. 
He said, imagine a, a, a class, let's say physics class. And all the kids walk into this physics class and the teacher says, oh, welcome. I want you to know that all of you this semester are gonna get an A. I'm gonna pass all of you. Congratulations. I want you to know that we're still gonna have class. I'm still gonna teach things. We're still gonna do the work. We're still gonna have tests, but you're gonna pass. There's probably gonna be two kinds of responses to this. The first response is gonna be people who'll be like, yes. They'll come to church class when they feel like it, maybe. They won't do the work. They'll crack the textbooks maybe once or twice to look at pretty pictures. They might just throw it away or they sell it. They'll just celebrate the A that they got. But then there'll be the other people who they're still gonna read their textbook. They're still gonna come to class. They're gonna go up to their professor with questions when they don't understand something. They're gonna try to take these physics that they're learning and they're gonna try to apply them in their life. They're gonna act as if they didn't have an A. They're gonna go all out on the class. What's the difference between the two? The second group, the one who wants to do the work, they really love physics. They love physics. They wanna be there. They wanna learn about this subject. They wanna see it applied in their lives. It's the same with us. A disciple of Christ wants to know who he is. They want to understand his ways. They want to see his power unfold in their lives. They, they want to know that they're honoring him in everything that they do. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean there won't be times where the, the flesh takes over and, wow, I don't want to do these things. But there'll be a pattern in their lives of where they're insisting on these things that they need to do to follow Christ more and more and more and more and more until the day they get to the place where like Peter, they fully realize in word and in action in their hearts the name that God has given them. Which being a child of God. My prayer for you this morning, prayer for me this morning, if there's any area of your life where you're not fully following him, you'll want to first, so you'll, you'll want to know. And secondly, you'll ask him. And that you'll see it. You'll seek his forgiveness. And then you'll repent. Which doesn't mean just to be sorry. It means to change how you live your life you'll start to follow him.